Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. Hello, Steven Zuber slash Jay Sticky. <laughs> uh, Steven Zuber is not with us tonight because of uh, some life commitments he had. Aww. Should we dive into feedback? Sure. All right. Uh, the first feedback comes from Spectacle on the subreddit. This is on a Roe v. Wade episode. Uh, Spectacle said... Their every attempt at describing the anti-abortion side describes it as wanting to save a clump of cells no more than half an inch wide, while two of the hosts' own stated position is allowing abortion of an hour-old baby crying in your arms. It gets tiring after a while. Yes. I wanted to say this is a fair cop. Uh, sort of a fair cop. We didn't spend too much time on on our personal positions at all, but I did want to make it clear that I draw the line at personhood. When someone is a person, I think that is when they have rights and should not be killed anymore and i don't think that personhood actually is infused at any one point like some kind of magic soul injection thing it's uh something that develops and it doesn't really start developing until birth in it's my a opinion. very stochastic very long gradual process yeah and well first of all i was like going to take this comment as please can you talk about late term abortion mm-hmm. um which is fair my personal opinion is that, yeah, there's until there's neural activity, there can't be any personhood at all physically. Uh, once there is some, there's a possibility of it. But that there's doesn't... tons of neural activity early on, though, yeah. as all of the really terrible posters and billboards will tell you. Yes. While show, you know, like, oh, 14 weeks after conception, I have a heartbeat, shows you a picture of a full term baby and like a from a stock photo in a cute outfit with long eyelashes. And they don't tell you that the heartbeat is actually just a valve fluttering (laughs) that'll later develop into a heart. It's not a heart. It's like a little Frodo thing. But like... But in in my opinion, like, there is no self that has formed yet, even at birth. And so for a number of weeks, actually, there probably isn't a person. And it's okay to... (laughs) Commit infanticide. Yes. This is where the convincing case for infanticide comes from. Uh, (laughs) I personally don't think I would be able to do that. Uh, I don't know anyone who would. But to stay consistent, I think that it is morally okay because there isn't a person there to harm the only people that could be harmed are the uh other people around that have put investment into the baby and if that is the parents and they need to abandon those sunk costs for whatever reason then i think it is uh consistent to allow them to do so but but yeah i wanted to make it clear that it's not just a clump of cells uh and if we implied that then i apologize it's fine for me in all cases right up to birth And uh, I know that is an unpopular position. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and I disagree. And where where I end up, like, sort of having to draw the ethical line, what I think it comes down to is the bodily autonomy. If at any point, like, regardless of development, um, whether or not it has a heartbeat or can smile, it's another billboard. I could smile at, I forget at what point, but who the fuck cares? Um, (laughs) Does that make you a person? I muscles in my facial region. It's like soaking a duck, probably. Because they don't have bills until the... Anyway, but... Uh, yeah, bodily autonomy. Uh, you couldn't force a person with a child to, like, link their circulatory system to their... Like, it would be insane if there was, like, a 35-year-old that needed to be, like, on life support. And they're like, oh, you're their parent, so we could... We'll just hook you up to <laughs> circulatory system or whatever, you know, digestion and everything. And have you, like, drag around your adult child. You can't force someone to do that. And it's 
the same. Like you can't, you know, forcibly use someone as an incubator. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No. I... And but to the point where I think the fetus could survive um, outside of the womb, then that's I where you draw don't. The line. Yeah, that's where I draw the line. Okay. But uh, which keeps getting pushed back. Except in the case of, you know, obviously uh, the mother's health or when you have a wanted pregnancy, like a lot of, again, like a lot of late term pregnancies are wanted pregnancies that um, either, you know, the mother's health is going to be jeopardized or Almost, the yeah. fetus is going to be born with like encephalopathy. Almost every late term abortion is an abortion of someone who wanted to have a child yeah, and they're very tragic. Makes it all the more fucked up when you go to, you know, a planned parenthood and there's people protesting, like calling you murderer and monster and you wanted to have that kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, this is the worst day of your life already. And then you've got asshole. But anyway, do you draw the line at the place where the fetus could live by itself without uh, technological assistance or even with technological assistance? Hmm. I think even with, because I was trying to think on the way over if there was anything new I had to say. And Well, does that mean that once we have artificial wombs, um, abortion would never be a moral choice? Um, no. Uh... Because then there'd be no point where it couldn't be removed and implanted into a womb. Well, ideally, <laughs> once they make artificial wombs, we'll be using them exclusively. <laughs> um, assuming that, you know, they don't have kind of the same issue. Oh, I don't know. Then again, people are still doing C-sections and... People get pregnant on accident. Yeah, but then, like, I don't know. I guess, again, it's going to be, like, the parent's choice, but I just can't imagine. No, I can. (laughs) I can't imagine anyone choosing to suffer. Uh, I'm not sure the bodily autonomy thing works that much because, I mean, you said it'd be ridiculous to make a parent get hooked up to their 35-year-old child, which is true, but, like, we do require that parents give up their autonomy to take care of children. Like if a kid's one, two years old and you aren't Bodily taking care of autonomy, it, not... you get pulled in for negligence and sent, to, well, not necessarily sent to jail because then they lose their parents anyway. But if you if you are negligent, you're, you're expected to, to give up autonomy to take care of kids, right? I'm talking about bodily autonomy here. I mean, do you not use your body? <laughs> well, yeah. Also, like, I do think that it's completely insane uh, <laughs> to... The the thing that it seems like these anti-abortion laws are especially angry at and trying to prevent is some irresponsible person who accidentally gets pregnant, doesn't get planned B or an abortion, uh, and then ends up carrying a baby for eight months. And then, like, at the last minute, it's like, all right, well, like, it's the last minute. You know, I procrastinated. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, okay, I'm going to punish this irresponsible person. With parenthood, <laughs> so like now, now there's a child and a and a parent who are both going to be miserable. That's what you get. Like, what, what is the? I mean, their position there? is that it's unfair to murder someone because their parent. But it's is also fine if like they live a terrible life and have an impoverished family that didn't want them. Right? I mean, like, you know, I'd rather live a terrible impoverished life than be murdered. You wouldn't be able to have that opinion when you're, you know. I mean, yeah, like, the, the thing I do, you know, struggle with and agree with you on is that regardless of how complex a fetus or a post-birth baby is, and it is quite, but still mostly they're just, like, an information-gathering process, and mm-hmm. it's, like, several years before they get the ability to conceive of themselves as an individual, conceive of others as, like, agents who are other people but separate from you, and then have recorded memories yeah my first I mean, I memories are at two and they might be fake <laughs> i think it's a few weeks before there's even a sense of self right 
um, or a conception. No, that, I think it's that there's a difference between what the embodied thing and the rest of the world. I think they when they've done studies, it's about around age three or four when children are able to pass the uh, like conceiving of other individuals around them as their own separate agents. You know, um, they do the test where they show a child uh, a video of there's a kid playing with a ball. The kid puts the ball in a box and then leaves. Mm-hmm. Another kid comes and takes the ball. And then the first kid comes back and they say, okay, where does like Jimmy think his ball is? And mm-hmm. kids who haven't formed that ability are like, it's, well, Jeffrey has it. He just took it. Yeah. And but, then other kids are like, oh, he wouldn't know that because all humans are not psychically connected. <laughs> but the fact that they're walking around and answering questions with language means that they got uh, some serious personhood going. Yeah, um, and again, like it's it's all a sliding scale too, or a, not a sliding scale. It's a it's a a spectrum, I guess. It's a process that's slow yeah. and long and complicated and stochastic. So it's not the same for everyone. Where I put the line is generally where a thing that knows it exists comes into being, and that is some weeks after birth. Knows it exists, and I think can form memories because, well, that's part of, or maybe a very large part of. A person is their memories. The thing, the really interesting thing uh, from the abortion debate that I find is unless people are explicitly speciesist, most arguments to um, stop late-term abortions are also arguments to expand animal rights and not, you know, farm, harvest, and eat animals because uh, many animals, especially the ones that we eat, are... Well, the, the, the pigs and possibly the chickens are as smart as newborns or smarter. And uh, that that is a big problem, in my opinion, for people who both eat meat and uh, are anti-abortion. Yeah. Uh... Which is why I am both pro-abortion and I eat meat. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for lab-grown meat to exist. I would prefer that. But also, like, I would really like to be vegan. Uh, I just can't. I've tried. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, that was... I, we didn't want to rehash the whole episode, but I think, did we hit the stuff? Did you want to hit more? Yeah, there was just one <laughs> one unique thought that I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just, my, you know, restating my old position. Mm-hmm. If states are going to, like, illegalize abortion, there should, like, it. I feel like it needs it to come along with, there has to be, like, monetary support for the parent and social services, child care, like, state-sponsored. I, I think it's super unethical to just be like, you can't abort, mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Now you're punished with parenthood for, you know, being lazy or reckless or whatever we think happened. And it's on you. <laughs> like, if you are going to go from your first principles and say, I care about children, then you have to also care about children. And, like, it would be cool if they also really strongly incentivized bringing a child to term and putting it in the adoption system or even inducing pregnancy if that's if I'm not sure um people can write in if they know about this. I'm not sure if it's possible to like safely induce labor. Pregnancy is very risky. Like yeah. It, it, I don't know what you mean by safely or practically. Like we can induce labor, but pregnancy is always a a major procedure. I just meant the inducing labor part. I don't know if um there is a way that's like reliable and doesn't have really intense risks for the mothers and the fetuses health. Uh, again, if you know, it'd be cool to write in. But I, I remember just sort of angrily thinking, what if they just sold it? For some reason, if you do slavery or like bring a child to term and then like put it at auction, it sounds equally as callous as killing it, which is insane. Like I, it, <laughs> I think it sounds much, much better than killing it, especially if there's actually demand for that. 
Yeah, if you're an actual thinking person, it would be like, wow, that was this is great. <laughs> but like, you know, at first, if you're like, sell a baby, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's all kinds of arguments against that. But like, I think also one of the problems is that oftentimes someone who so people will do that for um, like be surrogate mothers, right? Mm-hmm. And they get paid quite a lot of money for it. Uh, and I think all that is good. Um, but the the sort of children that are going to be aborted are generally the issue is something like the mother's been using drugs or or uh or alcohol for quite a while and that is the reason one of the reasons maybe it went so long and uh the, that baby is going to have a hard time finding people to adopt them because that baby's going to have severe developmental issues my to my knowledge there's intense demand for kids and that's sort of the situation for a lot of kids who are in the adoption system but well there's an intense demand for healthy white babies with good parents oh my fucking god i <laughs> which actually is... looked into uh providing eggs or being a surrogate mm-hmm. and i was so disgusted i like because I, I was like oh good money and like i don't know like i thought it would be interesting and cool and then it was like we're a you know white christian family looking for a healthy 20 something woman with blue eyes and blonde hair like it was just like the most racist <laughs> Uh, oh right. man, and they made you, they were like going to subject you to an IQ test, a drug test, a, like and like, yeah, yeah. it's just like, oh god, they're actually looking for like a human incubator, and they're kind of like, yeah, if you're going to pay a lot of money for a baby, you want one of those top tier babies. Ugh. God, well, I, I think regardless of whether your state decides to illegalize abortion or whatever, also just it'd be cool to just stack on top of that like a really strong monetary incentive to bring a kid to term and put them in the adoption system. Cool. All right, well, (laughs) that was quite a bit of listener feedback. I hope uh, that spectacle has been satisfied, at least to some extent. We also had a second listener feedback, which Stephen was thinking this would be really fun to touch on. Might take a little bit, but just to throw in on an episode that is otherwise going to be possibly shorter than usual. So we thought, yeah, cool, this would be a good time for this. Uh, Steven got an email saying, I was wondering what your best purchases were to make your life easier, nicer, or less bothersome, be it physical or digital product services, individual purchases, or subscriptions. Uh, So, Jace, give us, I mean, maybe we'll do two each, but give us your very best purchase ever. Hmm, best ever. My lizards, or just my pets generally. Mm Mm-hmm. Although my cat was adopted. And how come pets was your best ever? Because they're the one thing in my life that consistently makes me happy and gives me the motivation to want to keep living. And, Aww. you know, like I've been through really severe bouts of depression lately. And one of the things that like will get me out of bed or motivate me to like get a job or whatever is just like, oh, but my, I want to, you know, get my cat treats and nice things and mm-hmm. keep my lizards alive and thriving. That's cool. And they just make me happy every time I interact with them. Like... Yeah. In a way that nothing else does. Yep. They're never going to be jerks. <laughs> no, they're jerks. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have a Toke gecko. I have a Toke gecko. If anyone knows about Toke species, they are the um, second biggest gecko species and the bitiest lizard in existence. Hmm. And their cool. bite is like a clamp. Um, if they bite you, you have to actually get all four of their feet on a surface and then wait for them to release you because you're not going to pull them off without taking your skin with it. Yeah, I'm not ever going to get that gecko. I'm not getting close to that gecko. But they're so cool. They're... Their native color is powder blue with bright orange spots, and there's like, anyway, yeah. I know. Again, that's like I said. Uh, your mileage may vary. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I've heard that a lot from from people that pets are great. Um, it's, I think my best purchase ever was my LASIK surgery. 
it mm. drastically altered my life uh, for the better. It made everything easier and better. Best in your life, huh? Yeah. That actually, I've been thinking about getting it, and that adds another point to the get it. I mean, side. there's there's so many things like i mean i i don't ever have to worry about not being able to see because i lose my glasses in the ocean or whatever <laughs> i can always see uh at least in in any situation than any other human could and i mean sure there were some there are some slight negative sound uh side effects uh, my night vision is worse i can't uh. see as good uh in the dark uh especially uh or bright light sources in the dark but like i i became more physically active too because one of the things that prevents being physically active is either your glasses fogging up or the possibility they're going to whip off your head or something, you know? Or if you wear contacts, you know, you can't, you can't really swim in them. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't wear contacts. So uh, I, I, I had to have glasses. I, the, a lot of people don't mention this, but sex is much better with glasses because, without, or I mean, I mean, without glasses. Yeah. Because you can, you can't really have sex with glasses What about on. that hot nerd sex where your glasses are clicking together? No, no, it's yeah, not no. good. Uh, and like without glasses, I was basically uh, legally blind. And like this way, you can see your partner, and you can also see like how your partner is reacting. And it just it's easier to to be better in bed and to just have a better time. So yeah, yeah. No, LASIK definitely the best thing. I'm wearing glasses, and I've I've been currently just because I need money to get the transitional lenses that. There's a brand of contacts that has transitional lenses, and they were great because transitional technology has gotten a lot better since I last tried to have a pair of transitions glasses and ended up sitting with like sunglasses on for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it switches pretty much immediately. And it was really cool to be able to go from like a dim indoor setting to outdoor in the bright ass Denver sun, like our, our big sun laser that we have here and be like <laughs> yeah. comfortable. <laughs> but uh, yeah, contacts for me, like get scratchy. My eyes don't like them. Yeah, I've never really found a pair that, just I don't know that like I had a coworker who said that she actually felt uncomfortable when she took her contacts out because she was so used to the feeling of having them in and I was just oh, neat like I have the opposite thing yeah when I'm wearing them I'm always aware, like aware of them and even if, when they're not uncomfortable when like they're you know you have to like I have to also keep eye drops with me yeah like so yeah I think I'll try to probably look into lasers but uh I'm not so sure about the loss of night vision though because I have better than average night vision and I never. I mean, I can still see at night. I still drive at night. I it's know. just not as good. But, oh yeah, um, the reason I started talking about contacts was one thing that is like vast that I noticed is vastly superior with contacts than glasses is being able to see the stars. Oh, really? I'm like fine with the limited field of vision that glasses give most of the time, but it's oh, to getting... be able to just look up with your eyes, yeah. <laughs> not have to like tilt your head back okay. at an uncomfortable angle and... And then, like, you know, pan your vision, like, you know, actually physically turn your head to look at the different ones. I forgot to say, because it's been so long, but getting your peripheral yeah. vision back, <laughs> that's huge, too. Yeah. yeah. So what is the second best purchase you ever made that made your life easier, nicer, or less bothersome? I wasn't expecting having to rank them. <laughs> now I'm kind of, I mean, probably, again, probably the second one would be the laptop. Yeah? Why that laptop? Um, I had a, let's see, I was actually, like made to purchase a MacBook uh, uh, at my first career. Like, I had other jobs, but working in the video games industry, it was for Microsoft at the time. I had had a, like, it was a Windows XP, you know, um, tower with a monitor, and it was big and clunky, and actually one of the, I think, better versions of Windows that was around at the time, but still, like, one of my sort of habitual 
maintenance on it was having to like clean it of viruses and mm, yeah but um just the fact of it being portable was awesome uh and i like that the aluminum shell like the, the macbooks just have like a nice sturdiness that makes me not freak out about it breaking cool. <laughs> um i've dropped my macbook or like have it fall off surfaces and i'm not worried it's gonna break or like i was at the time but like yeah it's it's held up they they hold up and they, they just work and uh i know that that's brand fanboying a bit <laughs> but i mean i have a i had an imac computer like a a desktop one and it wasn't the same i've tried iphones they're not the same like it's just specifically the the macbook pro <laughs> and i have a newer one now that's like really thin and lightweight well it's a macbook air but yeah um it's more powerful than my pro was when i got it in like 2010 so yeah yeah it's boring uh, but you know it, it is just such a awesome you know quality of life improvement whenever i have to use another computer i feel like upset oh shit <laughs> just the i love the you know command spacebar ability to just put in the first three letters of anything and immediately have it pop up cool yeah um that that actually sounds really cool i've always been anti apple but you you make a very good case for it this specific computer i don't actually like apple's other products oh okay <laughs> Well, the command spacebar is a Apple generic thing, right? Yeah. Or at least Apple c computers. Yeah, like you, you still get all the nice features. Uh, if you have a desktop, you just can't carry it around with you. And that was, I love being able to throw it in a backpack and mm -hmm. or like just carry it around with me and not be worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> like I do, I'm worried about it being stolen. But you know, what's your second uh, <sighs> most valuable? Valuable? It was. Uh. Yeah. I think the person... Wait, what, did, what was their specific per, criteria? Best purchase to make your life easier, nicer, or less bothersome. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Um. All right. This is going to sound really stupid. Oh, don't worry, because my third one is going to be a Hitachi Magic Wand, but go on. Oh, I didn't know we were going to a third one. <laughs> oh, I, well, okay. We can go to a third one. I'm just going to have to think really hard and fast for my third. <laughs> Uh, but my second one, I was going to say like internet or computer or something, but then you already said that. So I'm like, yeah, I know. Plus everybody knows about that Yeah, I kind of right? feel like that one is almost like, yeah, duh. Like the person's looking for, I think. But MacBook. they don't probably already have. Your MacBook Pro specifically is, you know, a good, good, uh, good call on that side. And yeah, mine is super lame because everybody probably has this, but I would say, um, easy disposable cleaning products. Uh, things like oh, yeah. the, the the magic eraser, uh, no, game well, changer. I, I was I was specifically thinking about the um Clorox wipes that yes. you just yank them out, wipe down a counter or whatever, and throw it away. It's I used to have like you know the sponge with the soap, yeah, and that and was washcloths. such a pain in the butt. Yeah, and then washcloth, and uh, well because my my uh oh, my parents were very poor when i was young and so we only used things that were reusable yeah uh, they, they even for me and my sister uh, had reusable diapers rather than disposable but like when i finally got out on my own i still had this thing where i didn't want to buy disposable things i didn't want to buy paper towels because it was like i still struggle with it when i'm at like the grocery store and it's like yeah. uh do i buy you know Actually, at this point, I, I think I've mostly internalized that I can buy disposable things, but then I'm yeah. like, do I buy the shitty version? <laughs> or like, do I get like the nice paper towels that don't fall apart immediately? And it's just getting over that and being like, it's okay, I'm not an evil um, 
consumerist throwaway trash person because I'm buying these things, it makes my living space nicer because I clean it easy. Whenever there's a little spill, I don't have to be like, oh, I got to go get the washcloth and then rinse out the washcloth and put it up to dry. I'm just like, I just tear off some paper towels, do a quick wipe, throw them away. It's, God, it's so nice. I'm personally really... I don't like, I now have the the little Ziploc bags, the gallon bags and the quart bags. I mean, I'm sure there's... It's slightly more expensive and a little bit of waste, but almost none. It's like pennies, you know? And yeah. it's such an improvement to your life to just to pop something in one of those baggies, zip it, and go. I'm, I'm really... The amount of life utility I get off those things, even though I know that it's you know not ideal necessarily, is still pretty good. And also, the, the case has been made to me that actually uh, heating water and yeah. putting soap is pretty and yeah making soap is pretty energy intensive you're you're really not uh i was gonna say doing they, that they kind of i think even out at that point like and also i personally have always been really disgusted by sponges and washcloths because <laughs> they gather so much bacteria and yeah but they, in they Colorado, keep at particles least. in them and like they they end up smelling of mildew well i mean you, you you rinse them out good and in colorado at least it's such a dry atmosphere here that they dry out real fast and nothing can live in them, really. You don't get mm. much mildew in sponges and such. Well, think. I'm living in a basement again, and I've oh, noticed okay. that being a problem again, and it's saddening. Yeah. But yeah, the I was really surprised when I found out that a modern dishwasher, uh, you break, because some people were washing hand, uh, dishes by hand to like you know save energy or something, you break even when there's two dishes. <laughs> if there's yeah. more than two dishes to wash, it's more energy efficient to use the dishwasher than it is to try to wash them by hand. My new place doesn't have a dishwasher. Oh no, you're destroying the environment. Well, I was just upset about the lack of the convenience Okay. and the fact that it, I can never do as good a job as a dishwasher would. But now I feel even worse, so thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. They're just amazingly energy and water efficient. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of things you can throw in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, just to clarify that it's actually magic. Third wand best purchase was because I have really bad back and hip pain all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the the plug-in classic Hitachi magic wand is better than any other like massage, self massage device thing or really? like pain killing cream. Huh. Yeah, like you just uh, sort of. If there's a muscle that's hurting, you, like, stab it into the middle of the muscle and then just sort of hold it there for 30 seconds, and you eventually feel a sort of twitch, and it's just, that's it. So, well, shit. It I, doesn't I might need to get me one, then. completely remove chronic pain, but it makes it a hell of a lot more bearable. Cool. And I guess you could use it as a sex toy if you're the kind of person that enjoys a jackhammer on your genitalia. <laughs> I'm very confused by how many people like this thing as a sex toy because it's, like... A jackhammer on your <laughs> I guess some people are into that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just like using it for its intended purpose. Cool. I did not know that was the intended purpose. I know, right? Like, I find it really funny that a lot of sex toys have to be advertised as, like, personal health slash wellness device or something. Right, right. Still, in order for them to be legal to sell. All right. Should we talk about a main subject? Our main subject today is this post about uh, the aesthetics of... Effective altruism, basically. Guided by the beauty of one's philosophies, why aesthetics matter. Which makes the argument that aesthetics are actually very important for uh, humans and specifically for uh, philosophies that are supposed to guide people's lives. Uh, Did you get a chance to read this? Yeah. Okay. I liked it. Um, It started out with the person saying, like, I say, all right, so Christianity, if you think of it, 
if you try to just visualize Christianity, what do you think of? Um, and I got basically the same mental image as the author because they posted a picture and described. I'm imagining cathedrals, stained glass, the smell of incense, the sound of a priest's voice, uh, crosses everywhere, mm-hmm. a cross with Jesus on it. You know, like there's a lot of imagery you can pull and like sensory uh, yeah. data, I guess, sensory it, feelings. <laughs> it's got massive aesthetic on basically every level that you can have aesthetics on. And then they said liberalism. And then they managed to pull an image that, like, I, I had an image, but it was, like, basically of people arguing in a <laughs> online chat board or, like, <laughs> you know, like, badly, I don't know, like, the, the news on TV and being upset. And then they were like, yeah, and then I can also imagine liberalism, the, the Statue of Liberty, uh, the neoclassical style in our, our stately building. And I was just like, oh, they pl- <laughs> I, I would not have thought of that. I guess, I mean, yeah, the Statue of Liberty counts, right? I liked the imagery that they pulled because, again, like, I guess my association with liberalism is just opposed to conservatism and really yeah, tied up in uh, culture wars. And Like, if you were to ask me what the Statue of Liberty counts as, I would be like, American nationalism, maybe? But That'd they were talking aesthetic. about liberalism as, you know, a philosophy that they said basically every major country has, which with, like, personal, you know, like, people have rights and... I guess There's Coca-Cola. Constitution and... Coca-Cola would definitely spring to mind. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of, like, materialism. <laughs> Consumerism, but oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was funny that they, you know, project... Like, <laughs> Coca-Cola, iPhones, um, <laughs> cars. That That's weird that, yeah, that that's all consumerism stuff. You're right, but that's what I think of uh, when I think of Western liberalism. Yeah, I just think of people arguing and being... Also, the, making the ballot the world a bit box. worse. Like people going into a little curtained area and putting a vote in a ballot box, even though that's not how it works anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I also d- didn't think of, and I think the original poster didn't write like voting, but yeah. So anyway, the, their point was then think of EA, and I think of I guess the same thing. Like the, the only like really visual that I have for it is the EA logo with the uh, light bulb and the minimalist font. <laughs> yep, that's what I was thinking too. When I think of EA, I think of a little wire light bulb thing with a heart in it. <laughs> and that's a good logo. I'm not trashing that logo. I no, the it. logo's great. But that's really the only like piece of imagery that I can connect to it, aside but, from thinking of like people I know who are EAs and like places I associate with it, because I was at an EA meeting or whatever, like... Oh, you know, for liberalism, I would also include rock music. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that's a good aesthetic. Because, yeah, I was just... And and the point that they're making here with the post is that EA doesn't have any aesthetic at all. It doesn't have a look. It doesn't have a architecture. It doesn't have a music. It doesn't have a style. It doesn't have anything to it. You, you <laughs> They said uh, when you think of EA, you basically just think of uh, graphs and charts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the 80,000 hours website. Uh, yeah. yeah like and uh i agree with the original poster that i think aesthetics are important i mean you know someone with an art degree but also having a positive association mm-hmm. to something that does con- like consist of again like with christianity it was like the kind of music the the beautiful architecture you know the beautiful sculptures and iconography uh yeah I mean, like, I have my own associations with the specific Christianity ones, but I also kind of struggle with, oh, man, I like the aesthetic. Yeah. And, and they, <laughs> Some of the aesthetic. They, they, they try to make the point here that it's very 
aesthetics really are important. It's not just a, you know, thing that you should, that you can ignore if it take, takes up too many resources because, um, uh, their, I mean, their ultimate point being that effective altruism is actually less effective, uh, because they ignore, uh, aesthetics and the importance to aesthetics. Uh, they say that a billionaire who agrees with effective altruism may pride themselves on thinking that they don't care how interesting an essay is, as long as it's correct and impactful, but they will be less likely to read a dry and boring essay. I mean, and that's one of the reasons Scott Alexander's essays were always so popular, right? And Paul Graham's, because they're interesting to read. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the post says, but differently... The aesthetics you need depend on your target audience, but there does not exist a possible target audience for which aesthetics don't matter. They're absolutely everybody aesthetics is important to. They even point out that uh, office aesthetics uh, can... Oh, God, they can make such a difference. Yeah. I've spent most of my life in soulless gray cubicle farms. And, you know, they're, they, they, they're functional. <laughs> I have so much, like... I have many positive memories of my video games office, even though like I spent some pretty bad times there. But I remember we always would decorate for every holiday, and we already had like um, so much nerd shit in the office, you know, like a uh, Star Wars spaceships hanging from the ceiling. And then when Christmas would come, we'd put like <laughs> we'd cover them in tinsel and like put Christmas balls on them, and yeah. just uh, I don't know. Again, like we were basically the art and programming team, so cool. <laughs> everybody went like absolutely not so we tried to outdo ourselves and each other by tech creating our own cubicles uh for holidays or just generally i, I made my cubicle into a zen tea garden because i was always oh, really nice. stressed out so i could uh i had an l-shaped desk so i, I made the right side cool. business land and then the, the left side if i just like pushed my chair back and turned to the left it was the window and i had all my potted plants and a, a nice teacup like with various teas and <laughs> mm. one of those uh buddha boards that you paint with water and then it like fades after 30 seconds. You know, I not once in my 20 years ever decorated my cubicle, really. I, I would I would put some stuff up for Christmas uh, eventually because that was, that was kind of cool. Uh, and okay, so near the end of my term, I decorated it a little bit. But for the majority of my life, like the things I would have wanted to decorate with wouldn't really be office appropriate anyway. That was another thing that People... was great about the video games. Like company because it was yeah like i don't know one one co-worker loved kaiju mm-hmm. like so had like all of these monster statues yeah yeah and... like if i wanted to put up anime stuff like that it, that's unprofessional people would think less of me if you know i wanted to put up hot chicks or something that's a very big no-no i would get fired <laughs> so like anything that's with my aesthetic would either make me look down upon or just completely outlawed anyway so it was yeah, it, it, I was like, what, what the hell's the point? I'm just here to do a job and go home, uh, which I did. But the point made in the in the uh, post here is that uh, effective altruism is it's it's more than just like a job, do it and go home. For a lot of people, it's like their life goal, their their life path, and that um yeah, it's kind of a hmm. that people need beauty in their lives, and if they don't have beauty, they will become depressed and suicidal. And uh, that that beautiful aesthetics, beautiful things in life is absolutely vital for all humans. I mean, maybe we don't want to admit it, but we are stuck in these meat suits and uh, <laughs> our meat suits need this stuff. They uh, the, the post even points out that the uh, John Stuart Mills, probably the most famous person in utilitarianism or in the top five, at least, um, suffered from depression as a young man and finally uh, was saved by poetry and the arts. 
that that is what got him out of the the dark tea time of the soul and and made him actually want to live life and continue being a great utilitarian philosopher again and if if someone is going to dedicate their life to effective altruism and they just sacrifice everything on the altar of trying to maximize utility they're going to end up fucking miserable and get burnt out and not be effective at all ea does have it's like a widely known problem with ea that people tend to feel a constant guilt about whether they're being effective enough they burn out because they're like i need to you know spend every penny that i could spare and every hour that i can spare working on this and the type maybe it has to do with the type of person that's uh attracted to ea as opposed to other ethical or i do think it tends to attract the people who are very very scrupulous um (laughs) very much really feel the general misery and suffering of everybody the kind of person who probably needs to be doing more self-care already (laughs) that's true um which is another reason maybe we should focus a bit more on aesthetics yeah i mean aesthetics is a form of Mm self-care you know there have been studies about being out in nature and how it positively affects just breathing fresh air seeing plants um is a significant boost to morale and i mean you don't want to go too far because someone could point out to the uh, various foundations that do nothing but spend a ton of money on uh, throwing parties or, or buying mansions for their founders or something, right? <laughs> that they that uh, don't actually do anything effective in the world. Uh, and the post says, yeah, it's that's been kind of the center of uh, central to effective altruism since the beginning. It can be said to exist in reaction to most models of charity, which maximizing the good feelings of philanthropists. Um, rather than maximizing actual impact Mm -hmm. like the famous make a wish foundation which is basically just throw your money away and feel good uh but don't don't improve the world uh but the post says it would be counterproductive to suggest that effective altruists give that up but it seems possible that their reaction has gone slightly too far okay sorry uh regaining my thought uh (laughs) when they were saying that effective altruism had gone too far in abandoning everything that makes its proponents actually enjoy life that uh, instead of you know throwing parties and having mansions and all that stuff, uh, focusing on aesthetics can provide an elegant solution as a course correction there because it adds a layer of inspiration and emotional appeal and purpose that'll drive the movement. Uh, and it doesn't do things like funnel money away into just making some people feel good or buying warm fuzzies. It, it actually, as you say, uh, makes people feel better and uh, drives the movement and builds the brand. Yeah, like you see, I don't know, if if there was some kind of cool imagery, for example, you know, if I were to think of the less wrong community um, before, I would kind of just think of, again, like a, a forum with like minimal, a minimalist website with some mm-hmm. minimalist fonts and some ideas, I guess, that, that don't really have a visual representation. But since they published the less wrong essays with the map um, aesthetic... <laughs> Uh, and like included it on the website like you know what i'm talking about right the, i do now yeah for a second i was like the map and the I'm terrain like, oh, right, map right, right. with yeah. the but like what was it it was a uh the map of the mississippi map? delta as it changed over the years i believe yeah and color it's really beautiful if you haven't seen it i'm sure probably if you're listening to this podcast you've seen it but now i when i think of less strong like and i have the books in my house and when i go to the website i see the art and it's it's now it has just that one you know piece of art mm-hmm. added mm-hmm. significantly to sort of my you know like oh that's wrong yeah it's like the, that that picture of the map i guess i don't know it's yeah. hard to explain but like i have more of a positive aff- <laughs> um, you know it's crazy that 
even things like video games have more of an aesthetic than like you say you say Overwatch, right? Mm-hmm. And you can immediately you know picture the the visual aesthetic of that, right? Oh, yeah. Sort of cartoony and. It, but it is nice that they have that that delta thing, or I'm not sure if it's the delta of the whole or the whole river. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Like it's something that I would I want it on a t-shirt. Like I would I would blow that up and make a print of it to hang on my wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one piece of art. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah, the other thing that the post points out is that aesthetic is necessary for marketing. A bit of an aside, but I have to point out that they while they were explaining this, they included a photo of. North Korean propaganda with the tag North Korean propaganda is the best propaganda. And I'm looking at this picture and it's like farmland with a big dude floating in the sky throwing rice at the viewer. <laughs> and for some reason there's regular rice and then there's some giant kernels of rice that really confused me. I guess, hey, do you want to not literally starve is pretty good propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're literally starving. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway... um. As far as sort of, I think, yeah, just like getting your brand out there. Um, people remember images. You know, like you can't really, you know, put like a manifesto up on a billboard. Uh, recently, I don't know if Scott Alexander read this, uh, but he is printing out or trying to print out um, stained glass film to put over windows representing the virtues of rationality. And I thought that was really cool because it's uh, an attempt to... Can't wait to see what to... those look like. Uh, they, I mean, he's using Dolly, and there's a whole post about how uh, it was. Oh, please hard. send me this. <laughs> Another really awesome thing about having aesthetics is that it would provide a way for people who aren't sort of in the same niche to be able to become a part of the community. If they were to hire artists mm-hmm. and say, I don't know, architects, if we had some kind of <laughs> town hall of EA or something like. Um, writers to write poems, you know, that's including more people that wouldn't maybe traditionally have wanted to be part of the movement or like want to be, but we're kind of struggling to figure out where they could really fit in and help. Um, yeah. You, I remember, were, you were working for Disney, but you do a lot of um, art stuff. You were working for the art aspect in Disney there, right? Um, at that point, I had changed to game designer, but I was also like a junior artist and programmer and social media marketer. And mm. so, yeah, I was still doing art. You did the logo we have for Basin Conspiracy, which is amazing. <laughs> and one of the best commissions I ever got. <laughs> <laughs> and you, um, you said specifically that you moved away from art stuff and into doing bio research because you wanted to affect the world in a, in a better way. Right. I feel guilty as an artist, which is dumb, but all the same, yeah, it was, I, I, the more I got into less wrong and science generally, um, the less I started to feel like it was valuable to be an artist or especially, you know, be making video games, which like, and again, I say it's dumb because I remember many times throughout my life, even recently when one of the, you know, things that gave me quality of life was playing video games, reading books. Yeah. Looking at cool art, I still do these things, and they still provide a lot of value. <laughs> Many of the most memorable parts of my life are things where art was a core part of the experience. A lot of people are in effective altruism or rationality because of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which is, again, just a piece of art. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just in quotes. Yeah, Yeah, like Eliezer himself said that he was... <laughs> I think the word he used was something like annoyed that... 
so many people found less wrong through methods of rationality uh, as opposed to, you know, reading the sequences. <laughs> really? Uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, there was, there was some frustration there. Like, oh, it, it, it took me writing a Harry Potter fanfic to get people interested in um, AI alignment or something like that. I don't think he was annoyed at that. I think it was him being annoyed at himself for taking that long to figure it out because yeah, maybe writing, yeah, writing H.P. Mar was specifically a, a, a way to try to get people enticed, he said. Well, I think it wasn't. It didn't start that way, though, right? It was just, wasn't it that uh, he was having trouble writing the book oh, that he so... wanted to write at the time or that, that became the sequences? Yeah, so he started that to de-stress. Yeah, so like even for himself, it was more motivating. Yeah. And I totally understand that. I've had a lot of trouble actually like getting back into art and writing, which were hobbies that I really enjoyed. And fanfic and fan art mm-hmm. have provided me more like inspiration just because they come along with the community and so forth and so on. But also, yeah, you don't yourself have to come up with character designs or yeah back you know backgrounds for characters in a world you can sort of just start playing around with somebody else's you're trying to get me uh, on a rant <laughs> about american copyright law again aren't you oh man how fucked up it is that's another thing i think of when i think of liberalism <laughs> the mouse and how he's destroyed american copyright law the little tm in a circle ruining mm. things but no back to happy things like yeah. aesthetics <laughs> Uh, what's the next thing I have in my notes? Oh, that uh, <laughs> our true desires are typically hidden by the fog of daily life and bodily needs, and we need to be challenged by a novel, a movie, or a painting in order to understand what these desires are. So when a movement spends time and energy defining its aesthetics, it is also simultaneously defining its values. That was something I was trying to think of how to explain or tie into, but the other like thing that is cool about art, writing, poetry, whatever, is the self-expression, too. Um mm-hmm. And I've definitely had the experience, especially when I was painting for some reason, of drawing a thing and then like sort of, I wasn't really planning it out that way, but like, I, it, it like shows what's going on subconsciously that I wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, I think that well, one of the reasons people like art is people see themselves in it or, you know, like art, but also, yeah, dance, writing, all, all the things that art encompasses. People identify with, say, that they're like a really devout Christian uh, art that emphasizes the values of Christianity and, I guess, sort of the feeling of being a part of a community and all that. It is hard to explain, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, you need something. I I go back to Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality (laughs) because it's the primary uh, real aesthetic thing that we have, right? And pretty much in any rationalist circles, you can mention something from there and uh people will get what you're trying to say and it makes for good shorthand often uh yeah and it's like a jumping off point for you know people who are like the the first time i would go to meetups and not know anybody it's definitely like a thing a lot of people have in common and could talk about there were uh like specific instances i can remember of people being socially awkward and like uh, like trying to kind of you know oh what do you do well, I'm a programmer it's like yeah cool um and then like someone will bring up you know what's fucked up that one part in methods of rationality where, and then suddenly everybody's <laughs> in a circle yeah <laughs> like really intently focused on this and everybody has an opinion and it's like it just increases this feeling of solidarity and like yeah we have this in common uh, yeah I love that and it gives you things like any Christian can basically mention the prodigal son and you know what they mean. <laughs> And most rationalists could say, say, say something like, that's not cheating, that's yeah, technique. That's something <laughs> Professor Quirrell would do. Like, <laughs> right. And we know what we're talking about. And yeah. I, I, again, like the, 
there's that whole uh, argument about whether we're too jargony as a community, but I think that it's awesome to be able to say that's a Moloch, and then yes. somebody knows what you're talking about instead of having to sit there. Like the meditations on Moloch, I think is like a and, thirty minute at least read, <laughs> and that is almost pure aesthetics, or at least the first third of it yeah. is just a poem, right? It's yeah, written very poetically, um, but it has a feeling strongly associated with it. That trying to explain what it is. I think quickly doesn't invoke at all. And the association of uh, the force of evolution with Azathoth also yeah. works and is is a aesthetic choice that works very well for it the community. Conveys the horror mm-hmm. uh, inherent in a, a Malachian system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like it brings the emotions in. That's right. Yeah. The um the po- post also points out that sure aesthetics are a symmetrical weapon, meaning that good and evil can use it equally well. Uh, but you know, if you don't use it at all, you can lose support to your competitors if they use the weapon. Um, meaning the, the example they put out is Nazis can create inspiring art. And if you don't counter with your own inspiring art, you're giving the Nazis a chance. Again, like I was thinking of that North Korean propaganda poster and I was just thinking of other propaganda posters where like that there was yeah definitely like a battle of propaganda posters both i think uh in the world wars and then at the cold war most propaganda posters are pretty bad but <laughs> but the post does point out that generally after a uh government seizes power they will start uh commissioning monuments and pouring a lot of um pouring a lot of money into arts and other aesthetic things to legitimize their rule <laughs> And... I kind of like propaganda posters, but maybe like it's more of the vintage style of them and the silliness of some of them, which yeah. maybe is not the point they were going for. <laughs> well, there's a great article about how the MFA program was basically America, America's um, own propaganda system. It was the counter to the Russian system where everything was very... Uh, realistic very formalized very you could see very russian <laughs> yes well yes but you you knew exactly what the art was talking about it was simple to understand and uh with the the arts program that america funded to counter that uh, a lot of stuff came into a lot of the more modernistic things came into being we're like ooh, it's ineffable and you got to be really smart and have lots of luxury money to spend to understand this kind of thing you know so it was uh it was an interesting article. I'll see if I can find it and link it. Just reminded me of, I think, earlier in the Russia-Ukraine war, didn't Putin give, like, he tried to give an inspiring speech to the people of Russia that began with, we all die someday. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but that sounds extremely Russian. <laughs> I gotta see if I can find the article about that. But yeah, like, I was just thinking. Awesome. There's uh, ways of using art to kind of say, we are this kind of people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have these aspirational values. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's exactly what art should be oftentimes used for, yeah. The movements, especially like effective altruism, depend on on recruitment to grow. And as uh, as is pointed out here, that, you know, that can be rational persuasion, that can be peer pressure, but the best method possibly is uh, seduction. And that's what art is. It can seduce you into things. And it also, you know helps if you're passing it on to your children to have this rich um life-affirming aesthetic that you can be proud to to fill your life with and to pass on to your kids you don't want to give them something dry and empty of beauty at least most people that i know don't they want 
they want that for their children mm-hmm. to have joy and beauty in their lives. Yeah, and I don't know, even like my, I found out <laughs> when uh, I think when I was in middle school that my dad's actually an atheist, or he describes himself as agnostic, but I mean, then makes fun of religion. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, he wanted, he like kept that from his kids and like had us all go to church on Sundays and be raised Catholic because one of the reasons was he wanted us to have that community and that like aesthetic like he thought it was important yeah. <laughs> even though he disagreed with the, the actual like he's like don't listen to the words yeah. <laughs> just take in everything else <laughs> yeah. I have to like it's weird I, I still like sort of have some positive memories of going to church and catechism and singing the songs I can still remember all the songs too which is great because in retrospect, a lot of the songs I was taught as a kid are really messed up. I have almost no happy memories of growing up Jehovah's Witness, but <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses specifically had no aesthetic. Yeah, like, it was... wasn't that part of the ideology? You know, like you, you don't celebrate holidays or birthdays and like, yeah, yeah. we don't, you know, we're not frivolously dancing around. We don't singing songs and yeah, they they look at sculptures. <laughs> they specifically have um, removed the cross from their religion. Uh, it is idolatry, or or it there's a whole is. explanation for it. No, but... I mean in Catholicism they go nuts. Like yeah, there's they're spending way too much money on church. Like I, even as a kid, I was like I remember also having that like, okay, get dressed up in your nicest clothes to go to church and like yeah the but Jehovah's the, the amount of expense that was like put into yeah, obsessively decorating where I was I yeah again even as a kid I was like isn't the whole point that we're like going to hear the word of God like what's all this yeah. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses were supposed to dress up nice for church but it was bland nice it was you know like yeah this a, was trying to outdo suit. your neighbors like, yeah yeah it wasn't any nice. of that yeah just you know nice dress a suit that kind of stuff but don't go crazy and and the, the churches were literally called Kingdom Halls, and they were basically <laughs> any meeting room you would rent out from anywhere, you know? Oh, man. It, it was just That's got chairs kind of aesthetic. And, yeah, and beige, and it was, wow, it was terrible. The music, I do remember the music, but the music, I found out later, was ripped off classical music that they just uh, put words to, stuff that was in the public <laughs> domain from, like, Chopin, Bach, that kind of era, okay. and uh, and I was like, oh, oh, that's why the music was good. <laughs> when I was mentioning the kids' songs, one of them goes, "I just wanna be a sheep, ba 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 ba. <laughs> I just wanna be a sheep, ba 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 ba. I praise the Lord my soul to keep. I just wanna be a sheep, ba 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 ba. I don't wanna be a Sadducee. No way. <laughs> I don't wanna be a Sadducee. Uh uh-uh. uh." Because they're so sad, you see. And then it continues to do the, I just want to be a sheep. And then makes fun of other Bronze Age people. Did they tell you what a Sadducee was? Uh, at the time, like, no, I was like... Just, just evil people. You just memorize the song and you sing it like a sheep. Like, good little sheep. Cool, cool. <laughs> I eventually found out where I was just like, okay, none of these, like, Bronze Age tribes even exist anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just thought that, like, I don't know, as a kid, I was like, oh, I guess these were people that were real sad and that, like... Maybe they were thinking ahead. They were like, you know what? The goths came back. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta nip the Sadducee trend in I the mean, butt. It should be Canaanites, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just want to say I did find the "We All Die Someday" thing. It wasn't Putin. It was a like TV host, and it was about nuclear war. Oh, <laughs> it was about the Ukraine war, but they were like 
Don't worry, viewers, nuclear war would be okay, because we're all going to die someday. As they were discussing the idea of the war spreading. <laughs> Send that on to me and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, this is great, actually. Oh my god, yeah. And terrible. The So the sheep baba thing reminded me that um, in, in the post, it's pointed out that there's a difference between mass market appeal and elite appeal in aesthetics, and you usually can't appeal to both with a single product. Sometimes, maybe, very rare. I think... Mm. I think the very rare cases where that does happen are remembered. Things like Godfather and The Matrix and uh, Billie Eilish, too, I think, had both elite and mass market appeal. But generally, things is going to go one way or the other. It's going to be, you know, The Shape of Water or Transformers. And you're not (laughs) going to you're not going to like both. Uh, And uh, that's, you know, that's something to take into consideration it's hard because does that apply to you know like for example the aesthetics of christianity though like i guess okay, christianity like... is definitely mass market and elite i think though there's yeah i mean it's big enough now that there is um there is room for both like the sistine chapel that is elite i would assume well, i don't know the, the the masses also love it hmm but things like uh the jesuits the shit they uh they get into <laughs> Tell me more. What are you thinking of? <laughs> oh, you know, the the butt stuff. <laughs> what? I'm, just, I'm making shit up now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad because I was pretty concerned for a second. Um, no, I, I mean, yeah, I guess there is both in Christianity, but we mainly only see the mass market stuff since we aren't in the elite circles of Christianity now. I, I Just sort of thinking of any um, organization that has aesthetic that's mm-hmm. broad, like liberalism, um what were the other ones we talked about? <laughs> Why am I blanking? I mean, like, almost all of the bestsellers uh, in fiction are mass market stuff that generally people who read yeah, a well, lot would say this is, I mean, I think sure, art, it's, it's fun. It's It makes you turn the pages, but it's not, like, good writing. And uh, and the opposite is true, too. Anything that is really highly regarded by the elite readers is something that any normal person is going to look at and is like, what is this bullshit you're trying to make me read this is just masturbation mm, okay i i think that this might just be more of a problem for like you're talking about movies and books that are actually like specifically created to make money um well i mean that's part of the problem stuff aimed at the elites doesn't make money <laughs> unless the elites are willing to spend a whole lot of money for it which they generally aren't i think of like elite art as being incredibly expensive and that being part of the point of it well after you, know, you like, die yeah the artist doesn't uh, make any money. There's like, there, I don't know. There's definitely artists that make a ton of money by like being considered highbrow and their stuff being very valuable while they're still alive. But I, yeah, I tend but to think, I think that that's, that's less of a problem with like. I mean, I'm, I'm going to show my own um, prejudices in this case, but I think oftentimes that's less due to like the quality of the art and more due to the. Um, quality of the social network of the artist and uh yeah yeah no definitely but like i tend to associate that with well anyway uh, i don't know if this is really relevant to what we're talking about but i mean i'm I, trying to think like even music that's where you get the 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 hipster thing yeah, from isn't, right isn't generally what defines something as elite uh it's inaccessibility to a wide range of people whether it's uh a pair of you know high-heeled shoes that are covered in Swarovski crystals that are seven thousand dollars, like, yeah. or just 
a, a piece of music that is unappealing generally. Often, yeah. Um, to uh, I mean, if the masses like tastes or something. If the masses like it, then the elites are gonna fucking run from that thing. Yeah, I I don't know if that has as much relevance to art that's created like for branding purposes or. Uh, I think it I has, hate calling it branding because it feels like. I mean, I think it has insane relevance. I think. I mean, personally, in my opinion, because I'm a low class bitch, uh, I think that we should go for the mass market stuff because, yeah, that's that's methods what... of rationality is what work to draw people in as opposed to dry or sequences. Yeah, and methods of rationality is just like a fun romp, you know. And I prefer the the mass market stuff usually, as long as there's some some elitism like shot through it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't like like total trash, but I, I admit I am a trashy bro. So uh, I I think it'd be I, some the, of the... the thing is like if you're making art for the elite, that is when you pull in the the elite people, which give you prestige and status and a whole lot of donor funds, possibly. Mm. So I think EA is a movement for everyone, though, or at least sort of. Yeah, maybe like who we should be targeting if we're considering, you know, aesthetics as marketing are people that aren't already part of the movement. Mm -hmm. Again, like uh, just saying that like bringing, you know, commissioning art will bring artists in and people who like art, (laughs) who, I mean, even like you, even me as an example, you know, like I felt like I felt like I was a less valuable member of the community when I was a professional artist and like I had less in common with people in the community. I think... I think the art should be for the community, basically, because that's the people who are already here. That's the people who are dedicating their lives to it and who need their lives beautified. They they are the people that are going to decide to pass this on to their kids or not. And I guess that would mean looking at your community and seeing what sort of art they want. Like, I don't think, I personally don't like the idea of trying to reach out to people because then you're making art that you think other people will like, which means you need a oh, committee no, I or you need think, like, market research or whatever. And that always, that usually leads to inferior art as opposed to making things that you enjoy making. Yeah, I think um, more of what I'm saying is like not trying to, you know, I think it's actually bad if you're trying to draw people in who wouldn't have otherwise like been interested in EA. It's mm-hmm. more of just finding, hmm. so, okay. Taking methods of rationality as an example, it's definitely, it's elite in the sense that it's not very accessible writing to the kind of person who isn't already a nerd. Yeah. Uh, it's just sort of adding a fun layer to it. I think maybe mass market for nerds would work. <laughs> yeah. Because like your average person. It's still person... signaling to the type of person that you're trying to reach out, like, this is for you, you know, or like, yeah. come check this thing out that you already probably would be would have been interested in and you just didn't know about it. Because when I think about it, the average person is is going to be like, you want me to take my money and spend it on malaria nets for people across the earth that I'm never going to see, as opposed to giving money to this make-a-wish thing so that a, a dying kid can see a the guy who played Spider-Man at his hospital bed. And then I can feel like a really good person. Exactly, right? <laughs> the, and they are... That's going to be a very hard sell to a regular person. They're like, no, fuck you. I'm giving the money to the dying kid so he can see Spider-Man. Uh, even though that is, you know, the opposite of effective. <laughs> I think they're both good, but... I mean, I think not, it's... Not as effective, yeah. Yeah. It, As it's... opposed to, like, man, I remember uh, when I was doing, like, charitable stuff, at one point, uh, me and a bunch of my friends attended a... 
I can't remember what specifically it was, but it was something for breast cancer, and we eventually found out that actually none of the money that was being raised goes to breast cancer. Oh, to, the Susan Komen Foundation. Cancer research or yeah. uh, or to like help people who have breast cancer, you know, afford their treatment. It all went back to the organization mm-hmm. and the excuse was that it was uh visibility or like, you know, promoting awareness, that was it. And it was just like I think people are aware of breast cancer at this point. Like mm-hmm. you're not gonna make them like by making people more aware of it, you know, like it was just pure you know here's here's our brand and our art and the t-shirts that you wear and we'll give you these ribbons and these pins and these tote bags and then we'll hold a gala where we you know we raise all this money to hold a gala for rich people to donate money to this thing that just keeps it's self-servicing entirely it's a closed loop (laughs) it's money for galas and then we can all pat ourselves on the back and say that we're good people and you know wear our ribbon around and put the bumper sticker on our car so everyone knows what a good person we are yeah. Uh, that's yeah. That's the kind of thing that specifically like give well and EA is is trying to combat. So definitely, we don't want to go that way. Hmm. Also, um, I heard the the point was made that uh, commissioning smart would probably just be a rounding error in some of the big philanthropy projects. So, might be a good idea to maximize impact in terms of uh, neglectedness. Yeah. Uh... Because that is always a thing that effective altruists think about. Like, if this is being neglected, just a little bit of money can go a long way. That's true. Okay, the last thing that I got from this post is uh, the vision of the future, which is not quite what uh, the post ends with, but it's where I'm going to end. The post says that to the extent that a vision of the future can be extrapolated from one's aesthetics, uh, and points at the aesthetics of VA, which is mostly graphs and charts and stuff. Uh, it seems to be a future of pure optimization, in which we do not waste our resources on flashy clothes or leisure time. Or one in which we have replaced humans with robots who don't suffer and are easy to make happy by incrementing a happiness variable, thereby maximizing utility. I'm not claiming that these visions are what effective altruists actually want, but it's hard to deny that that's what their aesthetic suggests. And, in fact... If you haven't put in any work to make sure that your aesthetics suggest the future you want, maybe you don't truly want it. Maybe some effective altruists actually would be okay with fully optimizing the world in which all beings are wire-headed to a system that feeds them chemically included induced bliss. Uh, which I, I know we have at least one person we know personally that uh, is okay with that. Yeah. So is that the world that effective altruists would like to see come true? Probably not for most of them, but without art to show us otherwise, how can we be sure? If you're an effective altruist who does not want this, how can you steer the movement away from what would otherwise appear to be its logical conclusion? Uh, you need aesthetics for that, basically, is the argument made. If you don't have a an aesthetic that you want to promote a vision of what is beautiful and what the future should look like, then uh, you risk getting a future that you don't want but that looks like what you are optimizing for which is not beautiful this is a really interesting point because um i as a hobby like to like design and imagine different like alien civilizations uh whenever i'm making i just like sort of automatically i realize like if i'm making a, a basically like sort of utopian uh society and a species that I consider to be like technologically highly advanced I always tend to make them uh like I go really strong towards biopunk sort of aesthetic Mm -hmm. and definitely have societies that include art as like they've continued to keep art around but 
I do wonder how much of that is sort of like it's interesting because uh, if I could replace myself with a robot and then I, I didn't need art or like I could I could go into my own programming and erase things that like I think are irrelevant like I definitely want to not have to sleep uh, or like not have to eat and like specifically not like deal with the cravings for food and especially the the ones that are like suboptimal for our current state like craving candy and hmm. alcohol and really greasy fast food mm-hmm. um i wonder if i would make that choice to be like i don't want to have to care about art anymore oh damn it sounds like and it sounds terrible but then i'm sort of just wondering but how much of it is like because i i need art to feel health and happiness if i could just yeah like that that's <laughs> see like i personally know i would never edit that out because, or I mean, I'm saying that right now, because I think that would be a life that is less complex and less worth living. Um, just like there were a number of times in my life when I wished I didn't have a sex drive because it just complicates everything and mm-hmm. it sucks. And I've actually looked into like at different points in my life ways to like yeah, lower like chemical castration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I know a lot of people have. I thought about it for a bit, but like ultimately, I, I think that would be a less full life as well. Um, so I'd like, I'd like to keep those just because they do make things richer and deeper and more complex. And, uh, you know, I I wouldn't want to get rid of my need for art any more than I would want to get rid of my need to get laid. I don't know. I have like mixed feelings about it. And I wonder how much of that is just sort of that same guilt that I was talking about that kind of like pushed me to change my career into medicine and science where I just, you know, like (laughs) end up feeling bad by like, oh, I don't, instead of you know, spending money on this video game, I could have given it to the poor or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm a bad person for caring about my own, like, desire for aesthetics or whatever. But, like, yeah, I do also wonder how much of it is just, again, like, I know that these, you know, I know self-care keeps me healthy and makes me more effective, so I can minimize my guilt about it by remembering that. But if that weren't a, a thing anymore. Right. If you mm. could be healthy and effective even without that stuff. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like, it would be interesting. And this just feels like sort of... I think a quote that I keeps rattling around in my head that I really like is uh, someone saying, I don't want to be the part of my home entertainment system that eats and shits. <laughs> uh, which you know that 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 is not a life worth living but the opposite extreme is also i think not great i don't want to be reduced to just the thing that produces uh, material goods and and like i feel if i could be replaced by a robot what's the point of me anymore yeah i mean um it's kind of where i'm coming to I think I'm just, I'm really intrigued by the idea of what it would feel like to just, you know, reprogram your brain to get, like, a craving for, and then a dopamine reward from, give, like, working really hard and then, like, giving all that money to give well. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I mean... And, but, like, I, when I, you know, again, when I was saying I design alien species, like, whenever I've designed a species that was purely efficient, it was always sort of a dystopian ant colony type society yeah. that didn't seem like it was like whenever i would like you know describe their internal experiences they were always incredibly simple and insect-like or just you know completely divorced from individuality and pursuit of happiness um where i do think art provides that self-expression and that individuality uh that sort of like having a species that is interesting and complex and that's that seems to be good in of itself I'm, i'm like again certainly I think intelligence is valuable and reducing yourself to a cog in a machine 
yeah again like makes you less of a person like you're saying and i think there's something valuable about that there's a really fascinating story by seth dickinson who i love uh called three bodies at mitani uh-huh. and uh he he allowed me to do an audio version of that so i did and i'll, I'll link it in the show notes but uh basically it, the these people looking for existential threats find a colony of humans who are on a hell world so hellish that the only way they could uh, survive is by editing out all those things that we were just talking about. All that they do is uh, create economic values so that they can, you know, have food and and live and shelter, right? Because any any extra resources that they would spend on anything else would just lead to being wiped off the planet. So they've they've turned themselves into basically uh, that. And uh, ultimately, the the people decide to the, the the three people looking for existential risks in the universe decide to genocide the the race because they're like this is this is too awful. Uh, it's a really interesting story. It's it's yeah. short. I, I would recommend it. I was actually thinking of that, and I, I couldn't remember what where that like species came from, but I remember listening to your audio recording. I should definitely link that. That was really good. But um, I think that it was the moral quandary of the story though right like it, mm-hmm. it wasn't made, made clear whether you were supposed to think that was the right decision or not because yeah. i think if i'm remembering correctly this species did basically live like ants but they'd also self-edited to be happy and like fulfilled and doing yeah. their menial work and like sort of you know doing enough work during their prime wasn't it something like that like it and when then, like, someone yeah was no longer voluntarily dying they would immediately suicide themselves and be very happy for it yeah <laughs> yeah and then when actually speaking to like a representative of the race they were saying you know like we have every right to live our way mm-hmm. you know and, and we're happy with it like wh- why would you wipe us out of existence when we're happy and went fine and you know, like, are we less valuable as people because we're like this? And that was actually like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a great story. Yeah. And I I don't know. Like, that's, and then it's also, it's sort of similar to like wireheading to me in a different way because mm-hmm. that's what I'm worried about. Like, I keep it's thinking, I would like to just experiment with, like, it's like, I'd really love to, you know, once I have my amazing robot body, be able to turn off, you know, Needs to sleep, needs to eat food, needs to be entertained. You know, I think... But I'm worried that I would, like, get to the state of wireheading, basically. <laughs> I think Westwood... And then not want to turn it back that on. That society is a wireheaded society, basically. That the people are always happy doing that to survive. And so that would be an optimal society as well. Like, it's it's just the other side of wireheading, right? Where ex- instead of. of just sitting around and being happy and blissful, you are doing stuff. It actually sounds happy. superior to wireheading. Yeah, <laughs> it, sure. I mean, in my opinion, it Why? does too. Uh, I mean, at least then you're getting some exercise, right? <laughs> but I wonder again, like, now I'm like, what, but would a society, you know, like, if everyone's making themselves as happy and fulfilled as possible by, you know, not only optimizing society so that there's not poverty, disease, war... And then, like, continuing to advance scientific research, like, maybe it is better. Maybe I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't think I am, though. I, I, again, I think it just comes down to that sort of erasure of um, individuals yeah. and diversity. Okay. <laughs> we value what we value because we value it. Uh, that no, I think I can make an argument for why. Like again, like I'm, I'm if it, when it comes to, down to that, then it is sort of like there's no reason that the you know first species should be able to wipe out the second one or Mitani. Uh, like, I mean, 
that you can't objectively say this is a better society and like this one is bad. And the so I kind of think you can, but what really always made me um think twice is that it's it's easy to imagine the society you know that's full of beings that are less less human, I guess, less interesting, less complex, less beautiful because they don't have art, they don't have music, they don't have you know sex aside from what they absolutely need to procreate they they're stripped of everything that we recognize as having other values uh but it's easy to think of that you can also think of it in the other way there there could be species out there that have greater appreciation of things than we do and i always think of this like as a you know angels maybe or or if an actual like god jehovah style thing exists that could be a being that is has as much more ability to appreciate beauty and complexity as we do to the people at Mitanni. And, you know, in that case, I'm like, you know, maybe I, 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 is this a bullet that I should be biting? We're like, maybe it would be right for him to wipe us out in order to, to keep his more beautiful existence going. And, uh, is, you know, maybe Christianity has a point if this was true, that we should all just live our lives in subservience to him. And then I think like, you know, fuck that shit. But, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's a thing that kind of trips me up where, I, uh, again, like, <laughs> keep going back to this. When I designed Alien Species, uh, my favorite one to write for is basically that. Like, their level of technology is indistinguishable from magic, but they, like, cr- they create, like, hyper art that we couldn't even imagine. And, uh, <laughs> and I, like, specifically always write them with, like, a really powerful sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like, they think everything is funny <laughs> cool. and, uh, are constantly, like, they're mischievous. Uh, and it just, I don't know. And and they're like incredibly empathetic too. Though like that, I've had them visiting other societies and interacting with other sentient species on their own planet, and they have just this sort of love for them. Like they're these children that they're really excited to see, you know, them grow in sentience and technology, and that like they will help people out in ways that they think will guide them in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I assume they are not threatened by those species, though. They don't have to worry that. The lesser species, like humans, are an yeah, existential risk to them. They're, as I think they said, in a three worlds right. collide, a great angelic power. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but maybe we should stop. We, <laughs> yes, is, like again, sort of fun, but a little like a little off topic. I, I wish we had someone on this podcast who wasn't uh, an artist and therefore didn't have a strong bias towards promoting things that are beautiful and and aesthetic. I, I think that we have a darned good point, but, uh, you know, I would have liked to have someone with a little pushback on this. Maybe such a human doesn't exist, but, uh, if you do let us know (laughs) and we will read your comment online or on air. Yep. It would be interesting to see if anybody has like a strong counterpoint. Cause I'm already sort of not quite sure if, again, I'm just valuing things I value because I value them (laughs) Mm -hmm. or if there is like utility in art. I mean, I think there's utility in art because we value it. (laughs) i think there's utility beyond that like i was saying it improves communication and Mm -hmm. diversity of thought which i think is important all righty that was this episode let's move on to our less wrong posts like we do every week yay yay all right so the first less wrong post is guardians of ayn rand which continues on from the guardian series before that we had this one is about the basically the cult that formed around ayn rand uh she's the writer of the fountainhead and atlas shrugged uh created what is now known as objectivism which is a philosophy that uh basically she she glorified 
in her novels and in her thinking technology let's see what does it say technology capitalism individual defiance of the system limited government private property and selfishness and the word <laughs> selfishness actually links back to his post on fake selfishness where it's all about like well if you were truly selfish you would do these altruistic things like help people in need you know <laughs> which was great uh but then somehow that all turned into a morally closed uh philosophical system with ayn rand at the center and it devolved to if you disagree with her in any respect, you cannot be an objectivist. Yeah. And Michael Schirmer wrote a book about this. He called it, uh, I think he called it the, most, the unlikeliest cult in history, where he's like, how the hell did this happen? It seems like pretty obvious to me, though, because it does provide sort of a convenient excuse, you know, for like, here's why you shouldn't feel guilty about being selfish and why, yes, in fact, you are superior to others and mm-hmm. should glorify in it. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I mean, that has an obvious appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Eliezer says that uh, he basically linked back to his previous posts uh, on this by when he said Michael Schirmer is wrong. This was dead ass obvious that it was going to be a cult (laughs) because he said, like every other movement, her admirers found nicer and nicer things to say about her. And he links back to his happy death spiral post (laughs) and she enjoyed it too much to tell them to shut up. Uh, when there was a schism and uh, a lot of people left the movement, uh, the people who stayed with Rand rather than following the person who left, uh, were her strongest supporters. The ones who departed were the ones who were the voices of moderation. So they had the, and then the link back to the evaporative cooling of group beliefs. He says, the only extraordinary thing about this whole business is how ordinary it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and points out that <laughs> you you might think that a belief system which praises reason and rationality and individualism would have gained some special immunity. Well, it didn't. <laughs> it worked about as well as putting a sign saying cold on a refrigerator that wasn't plugged in. <laughs> if you want to actually avoid the typical death spiral of becoming a cult, you have to put some work into not becoming a cult, which is literally what he's doing with this series of posts, which is one of the things I most admire him for. Because he was like, look, don't form a cult. Uh, Apparently, these things are gaining some attention and the writing is charismatic and (laughs) and people are liking it a lot. Be very, very careful not to ever, ever, ever form anything close to a cult around me. Here's how it happens. Here's why it happens. Here's what you should look out for. Here's some examples of how it went wrong in the past. Here's probably how we could prevent it and what we should be doing more of. (laughs) Exactly. And then it worked. Yeah. uh, Basically. As far as we can... You know, determine. Yeah. Some people still think it's a cult, but it, yeah, I, some I'm people not convinced. Call it a cult. Uh, I'm they have, assuming either jokingly or else because they're idiots. I think they just don't know what like the definition of a cult is, or yeah, just don't yeah. actually know what it looks like on the inside of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just see people that believe a thing they think is very weird, and <laughs> yeah. that often live in you know group homes, uh, not realizing that San Francisco makes that a necessity. And, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they think, uh, well, these weirdos are obviously in some sort of a weird cult. They've got their own weird language that we don't understand. Right? <laughs> They're trying to form their own weird aesthetic here. They're telling you to give money to this shady organization. <laughs> They're taking it give away well. from good dying children and giving it to Africans. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I going to say about the... Well, uh, my brain just... Oh, okay, it was, uh, yeah, whatever, you know... Whatever else I have to say about Eliezer, that's I think I find that really admirable. Like to be the person saying, "Hey, as the person who could very easily become your cult leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm like I am coming forward to be like, yeah, let's let's very early on before any of this starts happening, mm-hmm. I am going to specific, like personally be the one that's going to rail against it." <laughs> mm-hmm. It was fantastic. 
Uh, I do have one thing I want to pull out that uh, made sense within context, but the main point that we're hammering on um, doesn't doesn't really uh, apply to this. He's uh, when talking about Ayn Rand's cult origin originally and her uh, focus on rationalism and stuff. He points out that there's no sign that Ayn Rand knew about Bayesian probability theory. And then he says, "That's not quite fair. Atlas Shrugged was published in 1957. Practically nobody knew about Bayes then." He says, "Bah." Next, you'll tell me that Ayn Rand died in 1982 and had no chance to read Judgment Under Uncertainty, which was published that same year. Science isn't fair. That's sort of the point. (laughs) The point being that, you know, you shouldn't have a closed system because science does improve. And, yeah, maybe it wasn't fair she knew that, but that she she didn't know about those things because they hadn't been published yet. But what the fuck ever, you know? This is why you... Don't be hubristic and make a cult and think you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of my dad not trusting the scientific method, you know, like, because doctors are wrong sometimes. Mm. No, you know what? Doctors have been wrong about a lot of things, so therefore they, we can't trust them on anything. <laughs> Expertise mm-hmm. is a lie. <laughs> it's like, no. Man, that no. sucks. Uh, yeah, so that, yeah. Was, that was a bummer. <laughs> um, the Litany Against Gurus is the next post, and... I mean, it was short. It was kind of a a, bo- a, a, a litany that says guru suck. I just scrolled down and saw the, you put only one note on that one, and it's TVH. Kind of lame. <laughs> In my opinion, it was kind of lame. Uh, I mean, there's there's litanies that we remember. There's the litany of Gendlin. There's the litany of Tarski. Those are both great litanies, and we uh, we repeat them, but the, the litany against gurus has faded into obscurity because it was kind of lame as far as I in my opinion, and I think probably the the community's opinion since it faded away. But, you know, that's okay. They can't all be hits. A lot of um, doing great things is just doing a lot of things, and the ones that suck, you let go, and you keep focusing on the good ones and iterating on those. Yeah, I, I don't think this sucks. I kind of like it. It's just, yeah. I, I don't think it's as um, memorable or, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely some sequences that I can remember almost word for word and are ones that I remember being like a whoa moment. And this is just sort of like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. That was a cool litany. All right. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. My taste, my tastes are obviously um, not everyone's tastes and maybe I shouldn't have just harped on how lame it is. <laughs> it was not to my liking, but yeah, well, it was, it was apparently pretty decent. I, I just, I don't dislike it. I just, uh, yeah, just don't have, like, whoa, you know, like, read this. I, I, I think I would never give this to, like, anybody. Like, hey, you got to read this. You know, right. like, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it or promote it or anything. So, yeah. shrug. Uh, because that one was so short and because this post, uh, this episode was specifically about aesthetics in EA, we decided to toss in one more less wrong post because the ne- next less wrong post <laughs> in the sequence is politics and awful art. I figured, what the hell? It dovetails nicely with what we're talking about, so let's hit that one too. Politics and Awful Art, which says that uh, basically every now and then, yet another atheist is struck by the amazing idea that atheists should have hymns, just like religious people have hymns. And they take some existing religious song and turn out an atheistic version. And then this atheistic hymn is almost, without exception, absolutely awful. Mm. Hey, Jace, we were just talking about how... We should work on aesthetics for yep. EA. Are we? Are we? Uh, are we bad and wrong? Is, is he calling us out here? What's going on? No, I think it's emphasis on awful. Art. I don't think he's saying art is bad. Just he's saying like if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, do a good job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're kind of you know defeating the purpose or even like 
hurting your purpose by taking X him and then just replacing it with science words. Yeah. I think the problem with this sort of thing is the um, focus on we need to make something that... We need to make a replacement for hymns and churches and... Thank you, yeah. We need to make an appra- a replacement. Here's a replacement. Therefore, it is good. As opposed to, I want to make something and this is my aesthetic, then let other people decide if it's good or not. Methods of rationality, again, it wasn't trying to take a, an existing thing and fill a hole. I guess that's why I was saying like earlier, the, the drive to pander to an audience, I think would make shitty art and we shouldn't do that. If you're an effective altruist, go and make art and hopefully it'll be good. <laughs> or yeah, like put effort into it or put, yeah. put thought and feeling and effort into it. Like having been to several of, you know, the solstice, uh, rationalist solstice celebrations. Yeah. There's definitely, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but I would say that there's definitely some, some of the songs are, I, I really love them. They're great. And some are uh, kind of amateurish and kind of cringy. <laughs> I think part of the reason I've never gone to one is this, this fear as well, that it's just, that that's what this is, is this sort of trying to... But I kind of, I don't know, like, I don't I don't feel like any of them were poorly thought out or slapped together. It's more of just people who weren't professional musicians trying to write music, and then they did continue to get better. Yeah. Um, so maybe that is just sort of the fact that, that it was just a new thing, that people were, you know, a new skill <laughs> people were improving, but... Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that... And... There is something, I don't know, like, there's something I dislike about trying to one-for-one replicate, for example, Christianity, uh, in the sense that, like, I really, I I enjoy the rationalist solstices, but it would be cool if we made our own thing. Like, one that I went to was in a building that I guess had formerly been a church, but was, like, rented out for different events. Um, And it still had, like, that cool cathedral look to it. It felt solemn and like it had stone walls and we were using candlelight and there were sculptures and stuff. But like, it's just because, you know, we have that aesthetic already established that we think that that's what this sort of thing should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I didn't really like the somberness part of it. Um, Wouldn't it be cool if like, you know, rationalist community celebrations were associated with like yurts outdoors or something? I don't know. (laughs) I'm just thinking of something random. Um, And instead of singing songs, maybe, I don't know. Just again, like I, I, I'd, I'd like it if we could tried to explore more things that it could be, and I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it. <laughs> it's so weird because I mean I think about message fiction, and some of my favorite fiction in the world is message fiction, but it's because like the artist was really into something, and you could feel the passion pouring through. And a lot of the times, the message fiction that you see is um. Just someone was like, well, this is the important thing right now. I will write about it. And then other people promote that, even though it's not any good, because it is the message that needs to be spread right now. Um, I think Christian rock really (laughs) takes the cake here, because most of it is absolutely awful. And like, we know Christians can make great music. They've made some amazing things throughout the centuries. (laughs) I used to really like the band P.O.D., and it took me years before I realized it was a Christian band. I don't know what P.O.D. is. Oh, you don't remember it? I don't think so. Oh, it's it's actually good. Or, okay. I haven't listened to it since middle school. I mean, school, some of so it is good. Evanescence well. started out as a Christian band, I believe. Which did? Evanescence. 
Huh, I did not know that. No fucking way. Well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. learn a new thing every day. Everything gets ruined a little bit more every day. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but they were actually good, right? Yeah. And then the problem is with the, the bad Christian rock that's just being put out there because we got to appeal to the kids and then kids keep being promoted in the churches and stuff. And kids are like, oh my God, Christian rock is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> because it's being promoted not because it's good, but because it's Christian. Who, yeah, are into it or kind of like, oh, I don't want to be associated with that. Like that was sort of, I don't know, the, um, I'm remembering some stuff that I saw when I was like in the skeptic atheist community that was like people just sort of rewriting prayers or, or like Christian poetry or mm-hmm. yeah, like make, making songs that were, as Eliezer said, uh, just intended to land a delicious punch on the enemy or mm-hmm. affirm the great truth. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, oh, I wish that they this this wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yep. I hope nobody ever sees this as like, oh, you look, you're into that. Yep. You know, like, yeah. And he says tolerating awful art because it does that delicious punch thing is uh, a sign of an effective death spiral entering the super critical phase where you can no longer <laughs> criticize any argument whose conclusion, uh, any argument whose conclusion is the right one. So if there's a bad argument. You still can't criticize it because the conclusion is the right in, in quotes one. Yeah, um, reminds me of, I forget if you were Steven, so I think it was Steven. Um, so don't tolerate bad art, everybody. He, like, being upset when you hear somebody who's actually on your side but is making a terrible argument. Yeah. Being yeah. like, no, yeah. <laughs> you're making us look bad. Yes. Uh, I also read a great point. I, I didn't read the whole post, but a great point made by, gosh, I don't even remember who it was right now, somebody on Twitter um well i mean they had a sub stack but i saw it on twitter <laughs> that um sometimes the point of propaganda is to be somewhat bad so <laughs> everyone can recognize this is not good art but uh the fact that you have to say it is good art in public uh reaffirms the power of the state because mm-hmm. uh everybody knows it's bad and yet everybody is still saying it's good and knows everyone else is saying it's good because if you don't say it's good are are you speaking against the state? Are, are you going to get disappeared here? Like uh, it's it's a show of force to uh, to let something bad be put out there, and people yeah. have to say it's good anyway. Yeah, I just I, I agree with this, except for there's like a thing on the margin that I was trying to get at earlier. Um, like the use of the word tolerance of alpha art, and I, I'm kind of imagining like <laughs> say there's some like kid in high school who loves less wrong and is like you know like drawing <laughs> right bad anime style fan art of methods of rationality or something i don't know and that like yeah. do you go like tolerance is like do you like issue a cease and desist or right, know, right. Like, people, and people are learning you always start off crappy when you're learning yeah well that's what i was saying about the music too like also yeah. like let's I, I was gonna say like let's also make sure that what we're doing is not like stopping people from making art <laughs> who want to make it and I agree. That's a terrible term. He should have said promotion of bad art because, yeah, you, everyone has a right to make whatever art they want. And you can even say, you know, it, it's good in its own way or or whatever. You should tolerate all art. But, the, the you know, the annoying part is when bad art is promoted. Like you're forced to listen to it in church and yeah. everyone is saying how great it is. Or it, it gets put up for awards because it's saying the right thing, you know. Even though when you read it, you're like, this, is, mm. this isn't great. Yeah. I mean, um... Yeah, I actually really hate uh, like books that are popular or like you know became successful, won awards or whatever because it's like, but they had a uh, this this book has a trans character and uh, right, yeah. who has a disabled friend in a wheelchair and uh, yes. they punch the 
metaphorical or like the i don't know sometimes the literal nazis yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's like again like that's the sort of oh you're making us look bad kind of thing like i Mm -hmm. as a trans person i didn't really pissed off at shitty you know like again i don't really want to like name names or anything but there's specific things i'm thinking of that i was just like this makes me embarrassed to be a trans person now people are gonna be like oh you're like one of those (laughs) (laughs) or yeah Aw. so yeah art man it's a whole thing maybe that's why they are trying to avoid it in effective altruist circles they don't (laughs) want to be accidentally promoting bad art you know hmm I suspect it's more the emphasis on effective and it like sort of needing to gain more wide approval or understanding as as effective. Like art, what I was trying to say is, I think art is effective. Like it, it is, it has other good effects. That God damn it, I I think we've gone on too long, and I just can't okay. form thoughts anymore. So. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's wrap it up. For next time, our two less wrong posts are going to be two cult koans. Is that how you pronounce it? Koans? Koans? Cones? Cones? Hmm. I don't cones, know. Cones, koans, or koans. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know next time. Yes. And false laughter. We also have to thank a patron. Well, this one is anonymous. Ooh, very sneaky. <laughs> anonymous. Thank you, anonymous. Thank you for supporting us. I think it's actually kind of appropriate that Anonymous supported the aesthetics episode. Yeah. That was pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thank you for supporting us. Yeah. It really just, every time we thank a patron, I'm always like kind of choked up <laughs> to like be reminded specifically of, you know, that this one person thought that this was cool enough to send money to. <laughs> And podcasting is, is it, is it an art form? Is it at least oh, art yeah. form adjacent? It's, it's, an art form. It's, it's a slightly art form-ish. It's not pure art, but but uh, yeah, it's it's entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. Entertainment and edutainment, it's whatever. It's creative. Yeah. So yeah, you, you are helping to support the arts in at least 40%. <laughs> we are at least 40% art here. Thank you for helping us provide uh, the community with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's pretty cool according to some people including you anonymous because you helped give money and uh we appreciate it and so does everybody yeah and uh it's cool to donate anonymously sometimes too like i was mentioning uh i forget if it was the susan Komen foundation but you know like you're you're not being that person who is giving for signaling reasons yeah i guess <laughs> and that's pretty rad all oh, right yes it is All right, well, uh, thank you for listening to us. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. I just wanna be a sheep, ba 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 ba. I just wanna be a sheep, ba 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 ba. I praise the Lord, my soul to keep. I just wanna be a sheep, ba 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 ba.